Hey, this is Joe Caminetti Jr. Welcome to the BC Podcast. We hope it inspires you and helps you in your journey with Jesus. Enjoy the message. This last year, I've, I've probably listened to, it's a little bit over 250 hours of uh, scholars teaching the Bible. These would be the guys that teach in seminaries. And I found some conservative ones that I just really love. And uh, I, I heard them teach some things about the Christmas story I had never heard. So I thought, this is amazing. And then I made sure they were right and checked it out. You know, I said, whoa, this is great stuff. And it just lifts Jesus up even higher. So uh, that's where I have gathered some of the information that I'll teach today. And uh, I am so excited about this uh, message. You know, when I was in Catholic grade school, I, we would do a Christmas play every year and we'd have baby Jesus and Joseph and Mary and the shepherds and the wise men. And one year, I was allowed to be one of the three wise men or the magi or the three kings as we sing in the Christmas carol. And man, was it exciting to be able to do that. Then I became older, I accepted Jesus, and I loved and believed the Christmas story even more. But I believe as we go today, God's gonna bring it up even to a higher level. And I wanna say to all of us, I believe this message is gonna build our faith and help us to have more faith in God, those of us that know Jesus. And if you don't know Jesus, I believe it can really help you begin to believe that God does exist. And uh, we're going to have a blast as we do it. So I have a big idea every time I do a lesson. And my idea with the big idea is this is what I want us to walk out understanding more clearly than ever. So the whole lesson is based on this big idea. And here it is. The Bible proves that God exists and that only he could write it. Now, that is one bold statement. I know it's bold. I, I, I know that. But I'm convinced of it. But if you would have asked me as a young pastor, Joe, in the younger days, or a young Christian, how do you know Christianity is the right religion? How do you know that your book's the right book? Here's what I would have told you. I would have told you, hey, only God can open up your eyes to Jesus, and you have to believe it by faith. And that, all would, that, that would be true. But then as I've grown in God, I've realized, oh, wait a minute. The Bible proves itself, and it does it through these things called prophecies. That's where God gave words to these prophets. And a thousand years before Jesus was born, they'd say he was going to be born. They'd say where he was going to be born. And they'd give you all this information. And we're going to talk about that today. We're going to bring a lot of the Christmas story, and we'll bring the Magi's in. But here's something that's really interesting. Uh, the Bible is a collection of 66 books penned by over 40 different individuals over a 1,500-year period. So if you're visiting, I'm going to geek out a little, but when I geek out, I still try to make it simple uh, and easy to understand. But guys, remember, if you go to our Believer's Church app to this lesson, everything that comes up on the screen will, will, will be there, so you don't have to write all this stuff down. And, uh, and, and, and if you go to believers.cc, our church website, it will all be there. So when you look at this, the Bible is a collection of 66 books uh, penned by over 40 different individuals over a 1,500-year period, it just, it's mind-blowing, and here's why. When the scholars got together to decide what would be in the Protestant Bible, and a different set of scholars got together to decide what would be in the Catholic Bible, what they looked for was a theme that went from cover to cover, and it, and it was real easy for them. So the Protestant guys the Old Testament was a no-brainer. All they did was our Old Testament is the Jewish Bible. So they, they didn't have to figure any of that out, right? They, it was already established. The Catholics also accepted the, uh, the, the Jewish Bible, but they added four or five books, but it doesn't change anything. 
But the New Testament of the Catholics and the Protestants is identical, which is amazing, right? Exactly the same books. So what they look for is a theme that went from cover to cover. And they just wanted to make sure that theme was there. And that's how they came up with the books of the Bible. And here's the theme. They wanted to see Jesus, his birth, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his soon coming to take over the earth and be king. They wanted to see it through all the books of the Bible. And that's what made them determine it. And we're going to talk about these prophecies, some of them, and what God meant by them here in a, in a few moments. But I just want you to think about this. How can someone foretell what's going to happen a thousand years in the future? If you just look at the book of Daniel, uh, God gave Nebuchadnezzar a dream. None of his magi or wise guys could figure it out. So Daniel said, I can do it. And he's a Jewish captive, and God interpreted the dream f- for him. And God showed uh, Nebuchadnezzar the kingdoms and how what kingdoms will come and when they will come. Secular historians tell us they know when Daniel was written, they know when Isaiah was written, all these books, and they tell you, yeah, that's exactly what happened historically. And it's just mind-blowing when you think, how can God know this? Well, here's how we can know it. In order to know it, you have to stand outside of time. And according to our Bibles, and you can judge when I'm finished, according to our Bibles, uh, God stands outside of time. The universe is like a timepiece. It's winding down. It's getting older. Scientists will tell you, secular scientists, it's cooling down, right? And we know it's going to be here when Jesus comes back in 4,000 years, according to our Bible. So we can all relax, recycle, but relax, okay? Just take a deep chill pill, and uh, it's going to be here, okay, uh, if you believe the Bible, right? But they believe God who stands outside of time, he knows the beginning all the way to the end. They believe that only he could write this because how could he tell someone what's going to happen 700 years before it does or 2,000 years before it does? And how can the theme run through the whole thing? So think about this now. God has already watched me live my entire life. And he's already watched you live your entire life. That's the only way you can tell what's going to happen in the future, right? So you might say, well, then do I have a free will? Sure you do. He's allowed you to make all your choices, me to make all my choices, but he knows what choices I'm going to make because he watched me live my whole life out. That's kind of crazy in a sense, right? But he still has given us our free will. So he sees all of history. You know what else God can do? He can put it in someone's heart to do what he wants to do. The book of Acts says he put it in the heart of the leaders to crucify Jesus, which guys was not it was not a defeat. That was a victory. He set the world free. And God, God put it in their hearts to see that he was crucified, to see that the sword went in his side, just like the Bible said it would go in his side. You know, All of the things that happen, God can influence them. And at the same time, he says, this is what will happen because he sees the beginning all the way till the end. So that's cool. Here's the scripture that explains it. Isaiah 46.10, only I, God, this is God speaking about himself, can tell you the future before it happens. Everything I plan will come to pass, for I do whatever I wish. Now, God will keep his covenants. He never will break a covenant. But God has, you know, the devil's in the earth. The earth is dying. People have a sin nature. So there's all this bad. And God said, you're going to live in the bad, even if you accepted Christ, but I'll walk you through it. So he's walking us through. He's not causing the bad. But guys, whatever he wants to happen in history, it's going to happen. And so that's why I take a deep breath when I see what's going on uh, in Eastern Europe and, and, and I see all that mess. Then I see what's going on in Israel, in the Middle East. I just take a deep breath because I, all I know is 
Uh, what God said will happen will happen. This place will be here. We're not going to be nuked. And, uh, and, and, and Jesus will come, right? And he will do everything God said he will do. Hopefully, you'll have even more faith in that in a moment. So I want to read a scripture out of Second Peter. It is so cool. Peter's speaking, and uh, he's talking about the Mount of Transfiguration. So most of us know this story. But Jesus took James, John, and Peter. He said, guys, come on up to this mountain. They go up to the mountain, and then he's glorified. Uh, what happened is he began to glow, and the glory that was on him in heaven, it came back on him for a second, and then Moses, Moses and Elijah showed up. It had to blow their minds. Peter witnessed this, and he's talking about it, and then he compares it to prophecy. So let's go ahead and take a look, Second Peter chapter 1, verse 16. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power of the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He's talking about that transformation. Verse 17, for he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven, we heard. So he says, we saw it, we heard it. We saw Moses, we saw Elijah when we were with him in the holy mountain. So just a couple things. That had to be crazy. Because this is before sound systems and speakers. And the Bible, whenever God speaks, it says, and we hear it with these ears, it's like a thunder, right? They heard him say, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. They saw all this stuff. And when I read this, and I remember reading, I think, well, that's good for you, Peter, but what about me? I didn't see all that. I have to just take all this by faith, and I do. But there are times in my walk as a Christian where I've doubted, right? And so Peter's saying, I saw this. I'm like, well, good for you, Peter. We didn't, right? And so, uh, but what he does next is amazing. Verse 19, he says, but we have also a more sure word of prophecy. He's going to begin to talk about these Old Testament prophecies. And that phrase, more sure, means it's more solid. He says, you can believe in God more from the prophecies than seeing this miracle that I witnessed with James and John. He says, that's how powerful the prophecies are. These are things God said would happen before they happen. And he goes on to say, whereunto you do well to take ye heed as unto a light that shines in a dark place. So these prophecies are coming into the dark world, right? Until the day dawn and the day star rise in your hearts, which just means Jesus will come back and we'll see God and we'll know everything. But until then, we have a more solid word of prophecy. Now he explains it in detail, verse 20. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. It's talking about Old Testament prophecies. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God, we call them prophets, spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. And so he's saying these guys didn't just decide, let's get together. They lived 1,500 years apart, some of them and let's write this book, and let's fool the whole world. No, God gave them these words. They spoke it out. They penned it, and they, they were prophesying about Jesus. They didn't even know they were prophesying about Jesus. They didn't even know what they were saying in many cases. And, and God says the Holy Spirit gave them. And then Paul, who wrote nearly three-quarters of the New Testament, the same Holy Spirit told him what to write, and the theme goes through. And you're like, how did they know 800 years before that this event would happen. Well, only a God that stands out of time that gave them the words to say could show them. So these prophecies, they help us with our big idea. The Bible proves that God exists, that only he could write it. And so 
I have become so convinced that God exists just by what he said would happen before it happened, right? And he's done it over and over and over again. So let's bring this to Christmas. Listen to this. Jesus fulfilled over 300 prophecies about his birth and death, some of which were thousands of years before his birth. That's amazing what Jesus did, right? You might say, well, that's not so big. That's not such a bad, big, big deal, right? Uh, guys, it's a big deal. It's, it's like, watch this. I wrote it down, make it simple for us. To have Jesus fulfill eight of the 300 prophecies, and we're, we're going to look at some of the eight prophecies about just his birth. To have him fulfill eight of the 300 plus prophecies about him would be impossible. The odds are 10 to the 15th power, which looks like this. That's 15 zeros, guys. It would be one in a quadrillion, just for eight, not 300, but for eight. So for all of our engineers, mathematicians, and Borman here in Warren online, TCI, guys, they'll tell you that's an impossibility. It, it cannot happen. So I shared this years ago, uh, this particular example. I went to find a better one, didn't find one better. I love this one, so I'm going to share it with you. It's just the visual of what, what one quadrillion is. What's, what's 10 to the 15th power? It's an impossibility. But here's what they say, these brilliant mathematicians. They say, if you take the state of Texas, can we all agree Texas is big? Six Ohio's fit in Texas. That's really big. And so think about it. From Houston to El Paso, it's a huge state. They say, if you could imagine, it would be in our imagination, a cement mixer that could fit enough silver dollars that would cover the entire state with two feet of silver dollars, right? Impossible, but let's just imagine we could do that. And they say, if you filled it with silver dollars, you took one of the silver dollars and you painted it red and you threw it in there and they mix it and they mix it. They pour it over the whole state, two feet deep, right? And then they blindfolded me or you and they said to us, you pick one location and we'll drop you to that location. Now, I want you to just think about that, right? For our Borman campus, if, if it was Borman, you say, okay, we're at Borman, the Southern Park Mall, or we're believers this, right? on Western Reserve Road. Where, I mean, think about how big Texas is. So if I were the guy blindfolded, I'd say, take me to McKinney, Texas. I, I have a pastor friend there, and it's a cool city. It's a suburb of Dallas. I say, take me there, right? But then when I'm in McKinney, we're at McKinney. It's a big place, lots of streets, right? And so I'd have to tell him, and then blindfolded, I have to reach. I could take the top one. I could dig down a foot. I could go two feet. I take it. What are the chances of it being red? Can we all say that's like an impossibility, right? That's one quadrillion, right? And that's just eight prophecies. This is what secular guys say. Secular mathematicians say it, it, it's one quadrillion, guys. It's 10 to the 15 power. Wow. And there's 300 about his death, burial, and resurrection. And guys, uh, we'll, we'll say this again later. Do you know there's seven ti times more prophecies in your Bible about Jesus' second coming in his millennial reign. There's 2,100 prophecies about that. That's crazy, crazy, crazy. So now we're going to go even more Christmas. I want to show you a Christmas story, the Magi. Remember, I played the Magi, so this is really dear to me. Uh, Matthew 2, 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, just stop for a moment. Herod was not Jewish. He was an Edomite, and the Jews hated the Edomites, but that's why the Romans put him there. Remember, Rome's far away. Israel's 
uh, controlled by Rome, and they needed a puppet there, so they put Herod, an Edomite. And the Edomites came out of Esau. They were cousins with the Jews, but the Jews hated them, and, and, and the Edomites hated the Jews. And so what a great guy to be a puppet. If you put a Jew there, they'd, they'd want to rebel, right? So they put him there. So it goes on and says, um, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. Why did these guys come? Saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews. Think about it. How do they know the king of the Jews was going to be born? It goes on to say, for we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. How did they know there'd be a star? How did they know all this, right? Verse three, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all of Jerusalem with him. You have to ask, why was everybody troubled? The Jews would be happy there'd be a king of the Jews. They hated Rome. They hated Herod. But why are they troubled? And of course, we know why Herod's troubled. He's the king, so he's gone, right? He thinks they're going to cut off my head. What's going on here? It's so interesting when you know the backstory, right? Um, the Parthian Empire existed at the time. So you had, you, you had Babylon, Persia, other empires, and finally now it's the Parthian Empire. The Parthian Empire and Rome hated each other. So uh, Israel went, sometimes it was under the control of the Parthians, sometimes under Rome. So uh, this is why there's a lot of turmoil. The Jews don't know is there going to be a battle. But these magi are amazing, these wise men. Uh, they were called kingmakers in the Parthian Empire. And whenever a king died, they would have dreams and they would say who the next king was going to be. And Herod's very well uh, aware of this. But here's what scholars say. This is fascinating that there could have been 10 of these guys. There could have been 20 of them. We always say three because there were three gifts, but the Bible doesn't say how many. And so we don't want to change our Christmas story. Let's leave it at three, right, when we do plays. But, but here's what history also says. These guys would have traveled with over 1,000 soldiers in a huge caravan. I, you wouldn't know that from just reading it, but this is what secular historians tell us. And so think about it. They come rolling into Jerusalem with over a 1,000 soldiers. There may not even be a 1,000 Roman soldiers there, guys, because it's just an outpost, and Rome is far away. So uh, they're all thinking there's going to be a big battle. Some of us might die, and the Parthians are taking over again because they controlled it before. Now they're going to control it again. And they say of these magis, they'd have all these soldiers, this huge caravan, and they would make kings. And so you have to start to ask yourself, how do they know the king of the Jews was born? So I'll show you this in scripture in a little bit, but historians believe that when Daniel was made the head magi in Babylon, remember Nebuchadnezzar could not interpret a dream and then Daniel interpreted it. So he said, you're head over all of my guys, all of my priests and all of my people. And so historians believe Daniel taught them Hebrew scriptures and showed them there's gonna be a star and there's gonna be a child that's born. They believed all that happened. And then when Persia came and took over, Daniel was over theirs, and we know that from Scripture. And, and they just believed this sect was created by Daniel, and he had these guys looking for the star because they're kingmakers, and they were literally coming to anoint Jesus king. God wanted that to happen. So I'll show you that as we go on. But that's interesting history, right? So take a look at this, verse 4. When, and when he, Herod, had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together. He inquired of them uh, where the Christ was to be born. So remember, he's an Edomite. He could care less about the Jewish religion, the Jewish scriptures. He doesn't know what they say. So he gets the Jewish religious people around him. He says, 
What's it say about this king, right? He wants to know. And so verse five, so they said to him in Bethlehem of Judea, for it is written by the prophet. Now they're going to quote Micah in Micah 5, 2, which is 800 years before Jesus was born. It's one of the eight, right? But it says in verse six, but you Bethlehem and the land of Judea are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So a king's going to come and it says he's going to be born in Bethlehem. So now Herod knows that. And now notice what happens next, verse 7. When Herod, then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, the Magi, determined from them that the time that the star appeared. So he, now he's trying to figure out how old would Jesus be? Is he a month old? Is he six months old, a year old, two years old? And so they told him when they first saw the star. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. Can I translate that for you? I'm going to kill that little guy. And we know that after this event, we know that Mary and Joseph had a dream and God said, go to Egypt. And you know, there's scriptures in the Bible that says the Messiah will come out of Egypt. Well, they had to go there and hide. And he killed every child two years and under trying to find Jesus. But then let me give you this. The census was over. That's what brought Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem. So they could have went back to Nazareth, but they felt they needed to stay. They're no longer in the manger or the stable. Uh, guys, they found an Airbnb because they opened up. They booked an Airbnb, just making it modern, okay? They booked an Airbnb, and now they're in a house. And you'll see that. that they, they meet him in a house. Jesus could have been six months old, four months old, year old, two well, but But the Bible does not tell us. It's impossible to know. But Herod figured, if I go two and under, I'll get this guy. He just wanted to kill the king because he wanted to be king. And so notice now as we read on, uh, it says in verse 9, uh, when they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced and exceed with exceedingly great joy. Keep that up there for me. So think about this now. Uh, all of us that go out at one time or another, we all see the stars, right? So let's say there's a really bright star and it's over the Mahoning Valley. Guys, how would we know? Would it, would it be over a house? No, right? Astronomers would tell you, no, it's too high. It's not going to be over a house. And so uh, the scholars I listened to, they said they believe at this time the Shekinah glory showed up, which, you know, the pillar of fire in the wilderness that Israel had protect them for 40 years. They believe God did something like that. And we're going to see it literally stood over the house where Jesus was. That's pretty cool. So I heard all these scholars teach this. And then uh, I, this week I was on YouTube and, and I saw Answers in Genesis, which is a cool organization. Um, I saw a heading uh, the Christmas star. And I thought, oh, I want to see what their scholars say. So I'm listening to it thinking, I hope they say the same thing. And, uh, and, and they said the same thing. They said there was a star and they go back. They can tell you there was a big star, some planets all in alignment. That's what they followed, right? But then this scholar said the same thing. He said, but the one that went over the house had to be the Shekinah glory of God. And I said, yeah, thank you, Jesus, right? The scholars are in agreement there. Now notice as we read on, it says this in verse 11, and when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshiped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. What is God doing? 
He's having the kingmakers come to anoint the king. But think about how he manipulated this, guys, in a good way. Think about what he did. He, Daniel was taken captive and was in Babylon for 30 years, and then Persia took over. I just want you to think about this. And he raised Daniel up to significance, and then Daniel oversaw these guys, and he must have created a sect. These guys probably believed in the Hebrew Scriptures. He taught them the Hebrew Scriptures. And then they're passing on, and then another empire comes, and another empire, then the Parthian Empire, and this little sect, they say these magis would go from one to another. They would take them in, and they would mix them all, and this sect just stayed there, and now they see the star, and they go to follow it. It's amazing, and they're worshiping the king, Jesus, and they know from Hebrew scriptures when he was going to be born, there would be a star. Now listen to verse 12. Uh, then being divinely warned in a dream, they're dreamers and they interpret dreams, that they should not return to Herod. They departed for, for their own country from another way. And then Mary and Joseph take him to Egypt and God protected our Messiah, right? He had to live and he had to experience everything we experienced and then God was going to use him, right? So that's amazing, right? But let's talk a little bit about Daniel. And let me give you a story. It's a cool story. You can read it in your Bible. But uh, uh, Nebuchadnezzar dies, and then Dan, his son takes over, and then uh, he doesn't care about Daniel. He just lets Daniel do his thing. And then he goes, he decides one night to have a big party. He gets some of the gold cups that were taken from the Jewish temple, very holy, and he, they begin to drink wine out of them, you know, and they're having a party. And then this big hand shows up. Most of us have heard the story. And it writes on the wall, and they're freaking out. Uh, Nebi's wife is still alive, and she says, you know, there's a guy that can interpret this for you, and we're going to read that. I just want you to see that he oversaw these guys. Listen to Daniel 5, verse 11. King Nebuchadnezzar made him chief over all magicians, enchanters, astrologers, fortune tellers of Babylon. This man, Daniel, whom the king named Belshazzar, has exceptional ability and is filled with divine knowledge and understanding. He can interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve different problems. Call for Daniel, and he will tell you what the writing means. And he calls for Daniel. Daniel says, oh, here's what it means. I'm just paraphrasing. Uh, you're done. Your kingdom's done. You're going down. And do you know historians tell us that at that same time, Cyrus was right outside of Babylon ready to conquer them. And he didn't even have to fight them. Just think about that. And so this is really cool. I wrote it down, made it simple. Something you're going to want to probably look at again, but it's amazing. Watch this. Uh, Cyrus, who's known as Cyrus the Great, conquered Babylon in 539 BC. So BC, we're going backwards with time now, right? He established the Persian empire. Daniel was still there and became Cyrus' advisor and his head priest. Daniel showed Cyrus the book of Isaiah, which was finished being written in 681 BC. That's 142 years before Cyrus conquered Babylon. It was about 100 years before he was born. And 100 years before Cyrus was born, God talked about him by name and declared that he, uh, what he would do, and it blew his mind. So historians tell us Daniel is there when he conquers and he comes into the palace, and Daniel shows him this, and he said, you're the head you're my head guy now. You train my guys, right? And Daniel brought his guys and trained his guys. But guys, just hearing that is absolutely mind-blowing. But I want to show you what the Bible says. It's so absolutely amazing that, that it's there. But God even told Cyrus's mom what to name him. 
before he was born because God wrote him about him in the Bible. So he, he said, name him Cyrus. And I just think about that. You know how we pick our babies' names? And I think uh, maybe Cyrus's dad was Bob, right? And they were going to name him Bob. He'd be Bob Jr. or Bob the Third, right? And so the, the, they're like excited. But then the mama, she just keeps having this name Cyrus come up, Cyrus. And then she's having dreams, Cyrus, Cyrus, right? And she had to tell her husband at one time, we need to name him Cyrus. I just can't get it. And he goes, there's no Cyruses in our family. That's a dumb name anyway, right? And, and, and yet they, she, she was being nagged by the Holy Spirit. So she went ahead and named him Cyrus. I want to show you some of the prophecies. Remember, this is 142 years before he conquered Babylon, 100 years, somewhere around there. I think he was 41, 42 when he conquered. So about 100 years before he was born. Isaiah 44, verse 28. Who God says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd or ruler or king, and he shall perform all my pleasures and fulfill all my purpose. He's not a believer, guys. I think he had to become a, a Jewish believer. Even saying of Jerusalem, she shall again be built, and of the temple, your foundation shall again be laid. Let me give you this time-wise. God told Israel, you're going to be taken captive for your disobedience, and Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon took them captive. They think that this is about year 69, 69 and a half, so God said, after 70 years, I'll send you back. I'll send you back. And so now God raised up Cyrus, think about this, to be the one that sends him back, right? So let's keep reading. Uh, remember, 100 years before this guy was born, it says in verse 1, uh, Isaiah 45, 1, you're going to see dot, dot, dots. All that mean is, means is I cut some of the verse parts out, not to hide anything. So you go home and you read it. I just wanted to fit them all on the screen at the same time. Uh, verse 1, this is what the Lord says to Cyrus his anointed one. So God anointed him, whose right hand uh, he will empower. God gave him power to do what he needed to do. Verse two, this is what the Lord says, I will go before you, Cyrus. Same thing he did with the children of Israel in the wilderness, right? He says, I'll go before you and I will give you treasures hidden in the darkness, secret riches. I will do this so you may know that I am the Lord, the God of Israel, the one who calls you by name. 100 years before he was born, God's putting his name in there. Had to blow his gaskets. It would have blew my gasket. Someone showed me, hey, look, Joe, your name's in the Bible and you're going to do this. I'm like, whoa, that's crazy. Listen to verse four. And, and why have I called you to this work? Did I just want to make you a vain king? No, no. Why did I call you? Why did I call you by name when you did not know me? It was for the sake of Jacob, my servant, whose name was changed to Israel. Israel, my chosen one. So he said, Cyrus, you, you may think you're a big deal, but I raised you up to do something for me. And Cyrus had to be humbled. I mean, his name's in the Bible, right? And then listen to verse 13. I will raise up Cyrus to fulfill my righteous purpose, and I will guide his actions. He will restore my city and free my people without seeking a reward. I, the Lord of, heaven, of, of heaven's armies, have spoken. And guys, what's so cool, Ezra chapter 4, verses 1 through 4, is when Cyrus made a declaration throughout his kingdom. The Persian kingdom, millions of people, it's, it's vast. He makes a, a declaration. You know what he declared? It's so cool. He said, hey, all of you that aren't Jewish, I want you to find every Jew you can find and give them money out of your house. Give them some big money. And then out of his treasury, he gave the Jews more money. And he said, we're sending them back to Jerusalem. Nobody mess with these guys. They're going to rebuild the city, and they're going to rebuild their temple. And he sent them off to do that. Guys, how did God know? He stands outside of time. 
and he knows everything that's going to happen. How, how did he know 700 years before Jesus was born all the details? He stands outside of time, and he knows the beginning to the end. So I don't know about you, but that begins to get me really excited. It builds my faith, right? And I want to close with a, a, a really cool scripture. This is Christmas again, uh, Isaiah 9, verse 6. Here we go. For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. Keep that up there, but why does it say a child is born, a son is given? Because Jesus is God the Son. There's the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and they're one. One's as much God as the other. Three persons, one God, right? And so he always existed. So God put him inside a human body, right? So a son was given. He already existed. But a child was born because he was born into a human flesh. So he's inside that human flesh. And it says this, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Do you know, in theory, the government's upon Jesus' shoulder, but he's not ruling on the earth yet. That's, that's, that's the second coming in his millennial reign, 2100 prophecies about that in the Bible. Verse 7, and of the increase of his government and the peace, and peace there will be no end. So he's going to rule forever, right? Now listen to this, and upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, that's where he's going to rule from, Jerusalem, right? To, uh, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So there's a prophecy connected with Christmas. You have both comings of Jesus, the first and the second all in two verses. That's absolutely amazing. So that's why I don't worry about what's going on around the world. God said Jesus will come back. The earth will still be here. He will set up his throne in Jerusalem, and he's going to rule all the nations. We talked about this in times past, but you know the judgment in the Bible, the sheep and the goats, right? That's to determine when Jesus comes back to the earth, who gets to stay, right? And anybody that treated Jews and Christians okay, he says, you can stay here. So there will be countries just like there are now. People will be in bodies just like ours. We'll be in glorified bodies, right? We'll help Jesus uh, roll and reign is what the Bible says. And then Jesus will be the supreme king of all the earth. And I don't know about you, but no matter what side of the aisle you're on, isn't it true? It's hard to believe all of our politicians, right? Are they really going to do what they said? Are they really telling us the truth? But when Jesus is here, you and I will have complete confidence. He, he's going to tell us the truth. He's going to control every nation. It's going to be an amazing time. And all of that's connected to the Christmas story. So as I often do over in Borman, here in Warren, online in the chat rooms, right? TCI and TV. You get excited watching us on a TV show. This will come on in four months or so on TV. So get excited about it. Or we'll save it for, we usually save these for next Christmas. So you'll see it next Christmas. Okay, that's all cool. They'll probably edit all that out anyway. So, so I'm just telling you how it works, right? Guys, I, I want you to think about all of this and ask you a question. Are you excited that the God who wrote the Bible told us what was going to happen hundreds and thousands of years before it happened? And I don't know about you, the Bible proves that God exists and that only he could write it. I think all of our faith went up a notch. So can we take a moment and say, thank you, God, for accepting us, redeeming us, sending us a child, sending us our redemption. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you, Lord God. Now I'm going to pray. Let's pray. Bow our heads, close our eyes. Father, I thank you for every person listening to my voice. And here's our first prayer. Continue to make yourself more and more real to us. 
continue to open these scriptures up, continue to build our faith in the Bible. And Lord, thank you. Thank you for telling us ahead of time what's going to happen so we can have a more sure word of prophecy than even seeing a miracle like Peter, James, and John. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for what we're going to be celebrating here at Believers in a couple weeks. Lord, we just love you. Thank you. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Maybe you're listening to my voice and you walked in and maybe you've known about Jesus your whole life, but maybe it's intellectual more than it is heart. And I want to ask you a question. Can you remember a day in your life when you said, you know what? I believe you're the son of God and I want to accept you as savior and follow you. The Bible says only Jesus can open our eyes up to that. Maybe you walked in not being sure God exists. Maybe you've not been in church in ages. Guys, that's all cool. You're sitting here, you're listening to me, and you say, you know what, I believe that. If so, I'd like to pray with you right now. The Bible says if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord, God will save you. That you're saved by grace through faith, and it's it's not of you, it's not work. So answer by eyes are closed. If you're praying this for the first time, just simply mean it. The rest of us in Borman, TCI, online, here in Warren, can we, can, can we with enthusiasm pray this prayer and help these people praying it for the first time? And say this after me, say, Lord God, I realized I was born sin-stained and I need a savior. I repent of all my sins and I look to Jesus. Jesus, I believe you're the son of God who always existed, who came to save humanity. I believe they put you to death like the Bible says and you raised from the dead. And this day, I declare you're my Lord and I receive you as my Savior. And I make a decision to follow you, to allow you to control my life and grow me spiritually. Hope you enjoyed today's podcast. There are a couple things I'd love for you to do. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. That helps us spread the word and impact more people. You can also help us see others connected to God by investing today at believers.cc slash give. And if you want updates on all things Believers Church, check out believers.cc or follow us at A City Connected on Twitter and Instagram or search Believers The Connecting Place on Facebook. The best way to connect with BC is live and in person at one of our weekend worship experiences. We have locations in Boardman and Warren, and you can get the service times and plan your visit at believers.cc. Thanks for tuning in to the BC Podcast.